Today in our In the Wild series, we're looking at the yak, the wild ox, the buffalo. Archaeologists think that the animal that God's referring to in speaking to Job is actually the Arabian buffalo, a wild, untamable beast. In fact, Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and this animal still to this day has not been domesticated. It's got a big, long horn, two of them actually, that form when they're born, but they continue and harden at age five. By the time they're in adulthood, there can be a six-foot diameter from one point to the next. Now, because in this specific animal, the Arabian buffalo, the eyebrows come together where those horns are, and it almost looks like one long continual horn, which is why the King James Bible referred to it as the unicornus, one long powerful horn. And God turns to Job and says, hey, Job, if you can't domesticate a yak, if you can't domesticate an ox, why in the world would you think you can domesticate me? Well, that's a question that is going to sit with us this morning. Because the animal that Chad just showed us in that video is wild. You know, as we talked about this series, In the Wild, we've been looking at wild animals, but you know how it is. Some wild animals are more wild than others. Like squirrels are actually really wild. You cannot tame a squirrel. Squirrels are actually not terribly dangerous either, (laughs) so we don't think about those often. But this wild ox was a dangerous animal. And God speaks that animal into this moment for Job when Job feels like his life is untamable. His life can't be domesticated. He has had crisis upon crisis, pain upon pain in his personal life, in his family life, in his business life, in his own physical body. And it feels to Job like he is going through hell. Well, the reality is he's, he's not, but he's getting a taste of a little bit of what it might be like. And so God is going to bring the wild ox before him to try to show Job something about what it means to know God even when it feels like you're going through hell. Well, that's what it felt like for Job. That's what it felt like in this moment in his life, in this conversation that he's been having with God. And each week, God has been kind of giving him a different animal that on one surface, one layer, God is saying, there are things you don't understand. There are things you can't control that I can. You just need to know that I'm God. But there's other pieces that he's digging into here that I think, as we've seen each of these different animals, it it unpacks a little bit more of who God is and who we are. And I love this one because did you know that God has a sense of humor? He doesn't get a lot of credit for that, but he does. And and this is one of the best because as Chad mentioned, there's a number of different animals that this could actually be in our text today. The Hebrew word is reim, and no one is exactly sure exactly which animal this is. In fact, one of the possibilities is the rhinoceros. Now, God is going to ask Job, would you... Try to plow a field with a rhino. See, on the surface, it sounds like it could be a good idea. They're really strong. They're really powerful. They're really big. I could get the work done twice as fast. But imagine, imagine yourself putting a saddle on the back of this thing and trying to ride it through a field. (laughs) Right? There's a reason we talk about a charging rhino. And what's really interesting about this is another option for what this animal might be is actually an ancient wild ox called the aurochs. 
Now that animal does not exist anymore. It has gone extinct, but we have cave drawings and we have skeletal remains of this animal. And this is so cool. You, you, you can't tell from a cave drawing, but this would have dwarfed any wild ox that we still have in existence today, even the buffalo that lives, lives in the Arabian territories. It would have been, anything we have today would have been about shoulder height to this animal. So when Chad pointed out that its horns can be as much as six feet wide, well, I'm six one. Those are big horns. And you can almost picture Job standing in front of this animal, looking up, a little higher. Boy, he is really strong, but he's really big, and he's really wild. I'd ask you, does this look like the face of somebody who wants to plow your field for you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you look at this guy. Look at this guy. He's been through some stuff. Like, look at those ears. I don't know what happened there, but he survived it, and it made him even more angry. There is no chance that I walk up to this animal, and this is the modern-day animal. So imagine that thing like two feet bigger, two feet angrier, and saying, Excuse me, I'd like to put these ropes on you. I have some work I'd like to get done. It's a mistake, okay? (laughs) See, and that's a little bit of what God is getting after. He's saying, Job, you can't tame this animal. I created this animal. I own this animal. I own thousands of them on the hills all over the world. You can't tame this animal. What makes you think that you can tame me? See, there's something key here that Job needs to learn about who God is. And that's a big part of what this whole conversation has been about. That in a very real way, Job does not get answers to the why of his circumstances. But he is learning something about who God is. In his circumstances. And I think with the wild ox, God is telling Job, and I think he's telling us, you can't tame God. You can't tame God. Now, if God is who he says he is, if this book is true and he is all powerful, and he is all knowing, and he is always good, then he has every right. To say this, to say to Job, I understand that you don't like what's going on around me, around you. I understand that you wish I would change it, but you are not in charge of me. You can't tame God. He has every right to say that, and that could be the end of the conversation. In fact, the reality is, he doesn't even have to talk to Job, (laughs) right? But this is one of the things I love about this. God is so personal. He cares so much. He's not afraid of Job's questions. He's not afraid of Job's wonderings or Job's doubts. He wants to have this conversation with him, just like he wants to have this conversation with you. He wants to have this conversation with me because he is so much more than a hashtag deal with it God. In fact, when Job or you or I go through these kinds of things, we we think things like, If only it were this way instead. If only this thing would change. And in a sense, what we're saying is, if I were God, I would do this differently. I would do this 
better, I would make this good. Because it's not right now. The implication being that we know better than God, and if only we could tame God, we could tell him how to fix the things that he must be missing, then life would go better. But we can't tame God. And I think there's even more going on here than just God saying, you know, like sometimes you, you, you can hear the memory of your parents saying this to you. Why, Dad? Why, Mom? Because I'm Dad. That's why. Right? Because I'm God. That's why. Again, totally fair if that's where he leaves the conversation. Right? But I think there's a little bit more. And I think one of the things that he's trying to hand to Job for us to hold on to is for us to actually look at this ox and hear God give us this wonderful advice. Don't try to tame the untamable. Don't try to tame the untamable. That's one of his messages here. Because the reality is, you saw that animal. Trying to tame the untamable is as dangerous as it is foolish. And it can look like a good idea. It can look like something that we would want to be a part of. Because it's so big. It can do so much work. It can get this done so fast. I'm going to give it a try. Well, look at what God says. This is Job 39. He says, Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? Or will he plow the valleys behind you? These are rhetorical questions, okay? The answer to these questions is no. The wild ox is wild. He's dangerous. He's massive. He's powerful. He's destructive. It would be foolish to think that any of these things are things that you could accomplish. You see, there's, there's a bit of an undertone here of this idea of who serves who. Right, that if God is who God is, then he's not here to serve me. I'm here to serve him. But I don't know about you. I don't know if this is a guy thing, if this is a uh, stupid people thing. I'm not sure. But sometimes when I hear something like that, yeah, I, I know it's probably a bad idea, but I hear a challenge too. Right? Like when you tell me I can't do something, there's at least a little bit of me that says, Oh, yeah? Watch this. <laughs> right? Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? He will when I'm through with him. Right? That, you, you can imagine this mindset happens to us. And, and I want to take you back to a memory from your childhood that I think, I hope I'm not the only one that has this memory. <laughs> but it reminds me of a merry-go-round. Right? This is the idea of trying to tame the untamable, trying to control the uncontrollable. You remember when, when you were a kid and you would see other kids over there playing on the merry-go-round? And you want to get on too. But that thing's already spinning. Right? And I, I'm sure this happened more than once, but I have like this distinct memory in my mind of one particular merry-go-round. And I could just see it happening. And I hear the voices behind me. Don't! <laughs> Stay back! I'm thinking, no chance. This looks fun. And it's sort of like when you stare at a fan on the ceiling and after a while you can get a handle on like one blade and you're watching, like it's going around, but you've picked out the one. That is the one and you were going to grab that bar and you were going to get on that merry-go-round and nothing is going to stop you no matter how dangerous it looks. It goes around, get your nerves up, here it comes, whoa! And the next thing you know, you are whipped around one side, flung off by centrifugal force, maybe dragged underneath 
And it turns out this was as dangerous as it was foolish. You can't control the untamable. You can't control the uncontrollable. You can't tame the untamable. You can try, but you probably wouldn't want to. That's the picture that God is giving us here. That is what it would be like to try to tame the wild ox. It's tempting. It looks like it would be a good thing, but it's going to be painful. Right? I don't like my circumstances. I'm not on the merry-go-round, and I'm going to do something about it. And it actually gets worse. The interesting reality is, while we know that, I mean, as soon as I start telling that story, you know little Drew is about to get hurt. (laughs) And yet we do this all the time. When we hit things that are completely out of our control, as much as we feel like we organize our lives, we set things up, we save for the future, and it gives us this sense of like safety that I have controlled enough things that I know what's going on here and I can keep up with it. You've all been there. You may not feel it this morning, but you've been there and you'll be there again. And I know you have, and I have too, where you realize how out of control life really is. Either because your circumstances change because of something someone else does, sometimes because of things that we do. And one of the things that happens is we begin to worry. Worry is a cognitive response to uncontrollable circumstances. Because we feel like I have to do something, but I can't do anything, so I do everything inside here. And I get anxious. And that emotional buildup begins to come out in other ways. In anger, because it hurts us to realize we can't tame the untamable. There are other things in life like that merry-go-round that look like they're good from a distance. Things that we chase after that are actually going to hurt us. You know, it's not just our circumstances, but sometimes it's our actions, it's our behaviors. I was talking to a friend uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and this is a perfect example of this. You think about pride, right? We know that pride can hurt us. And, and I, was, I was actually watching a conversation between two other friends, and one of them says, you know, I think you're really arrogant, and that drives people crazy. And, and the other guy answers back to him, well, I know I'm a really prideful person, and I know I can be really arrogant, and I know that that's hurt a lot of people. But I think it gives me an edge, and that's kind of who I am, so I'm not going to change. What just happened here? (laughs) Right, like even in the moment that we recognize that something may be hurting us, sometimes we keep chasing it. I was watching a guy give a talk uh, just last night, actually, where he described the reasons that men and women alike chase after sexual lust. And it was talking about pornography and how the reality that A third of all internet downloads are pornography. And a third of all pornography users are women. Like, this is everybody's problem. And what was so interesting about this was that he painted this picture of the idea that we think we can tame it. We think it's not that big of a deal, and I'm not going to do that much. Or or maybe it's not pornography, but it's cheating in a relationship. And we think, I'm just going to go out with them once. I'm just going to have lunch. And we think that we can tame the untamable. But the broken pieces of us escape us, and they make things worse, like grabbing that merry-go-round when we know better. 
And we know better. And then what ends up happening is that backs up from our circumstances and from our behavior to our attempts to control God. Right? Either we try to lower his standard to say, who is God to tell me that I can't do this thing, that thing, or that thing? Who is God to tell them that they can't do that thing, this thing, or that thing? I'm sure he understands. And we lower his standard, but the reality is his standard hasn't changed. It's just things we're telling ourselves. Or we look at our circumstances, those things that are painful for us, and we begin to do things like bargaining with God, trying to manipulate God. Have you ever had one of those conversations with him? I know I have, where it's, it's sort of like, Dear Lord, if you just please would let like this one thing go right. If I would just get this job, just pass this test, if, if Melissa would just say she would marry me, you know, whatever that is, then I, I promise I will give money to the church for the rest of my life and I'll go on a trip and I'll serve at City Gospel. And, right? We start to bargain with him as if there's some way that we can manipulate God into doing what we think is best. But the reality is if he's God... He knows what's best. He knows more than Job. He knows more than you. He knows more than me. And so as God continues this conversation, he asks these other questions of Job. In the next couple of verses, he says about the wild ox, will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? Now by this point in our conversation, the answer should be obviously no right already in these four verses god has asked seven rhetorical questions all of them with the answer no because not only can't you tame this wild beast i like to call it a rhinocerox and if you write that down someone will find it thousands of years from now and they'll wonder what we meant by that english word (laughs) but you can't tame it and you can't trust it If you think that animal is going to provide for you, first of all, it's not even going to plow your field, let alone bring back anything that you need, right? And so what God is showing Job is that in a situation like this, the answer no can be hard to hear, but it's actually the most loving answer. So just as we need to realize we can't tame the untamable, I think God would also tell us this, that we need to learn to take no for an answer. Now, if you've raised kids at all, especially, I think, if you've had teenagers, let's be honest, we were all teenagers. (laughs) When we were teenagers, we were really bad at taking no for an answer, right? But as a parent, you know there are those times when that is what you need to say because it is for the best, whether they understand it or not. You know, I think this is where it becomes so helpful to understand God as Father Because there are times where he says no, even to what seems like a good thing. I can think of so many of those in my life. You know, a couple weeks ago, as as we were learning about the donkey, I shared a little bit about our, our house hunt journey over the last year. And that was one of the things that I was learning through that journey, was that there were multiple times where there was something that I prayed for on my knees in faith, and God said, no. And I didn't know why. And you know what? I don't think that's God telling us, stop praying. Absolutely not. In fact, he tells us to pray boldly before him when we know him as father. 
But now that we have settled into a home, I can look back and say, oh, this is what I was learning. I was probably good that he said no there because I was thinking wrong things about him that I would have locked in if everything worked out in that moment. I needed more time to learn, right? One of the greatest things I learned through that season is to just trust him. There are sometimes you've probably seen this in the medical world. You know, my father, uh, my, my dad, my earthly dad, a few years ago, um, he's had ulcers from time to time. He almost died when I was an infant from his ulcers. And so a couple of years ago, he was having this pain that my mom is saying, go to the hospital, Brent. And my dad is saying, it doesn't hurt that bad yet. <laughs> dad, like, seriously? And he listens to these messages, so I'm sure we're going to talk about this later. But... <laughs> But what happened was, it turns out he, he was having an ulcer, and when he finally went to the hospital, while we would be praying, Lord, take away the pain, take away the ulcers, when he gets to the hospital, because they had to go in there and fix the ulcer, they also found that his gallbladder was gangrene. Like, we're talking moments from death. Lord, thank you for the pain that sent my dad to the hospital. Right? You may have heard me talk sometimes about the, the medical trial that my wife has been through and the symptoms that led up to it for months. Lord, take away this pain. Couldn't find where it was coming from. God, would you just remove it? We know that you are a healer. I mean, but hey, we'll trust you. That pain is what led them to discover her disease so that she could get the surgery that healed it. Actually, Lord, sorry about those things I prayed before. Thank you for the symptoms. Thank you for the pain that pointed us towards something more important. I think that is part of why God gives us no for an answer at some times, and we don't always understand it. But I've seen enough of those situations, and I'll bet you have stories like that too, that allow me to be able to say, it is possible that I'm missing something here. Here are the pieces I know, and I know why I like them or I don't like them, but it's possible that I'm missing something. Because often we want God's blessing, but not his correction. We want the good things, but we don't want to learn the hard lessons. But sometimes that's what he's doing. Sometimes the pain is revealing something about his purpose, and sometimes no is the most loving answer. You know that he'll say, no, that's not good for you. Or no, it's not time yet. Sometimes he says, no, I've actually got a better idea. No, I'm teaching you a valuable lesson no, and I can't explain it right now, so just trust me. You know, I've given you a couple examples of, of stories that I saw end well, times where no was the answer, and we ended up thankful. But I won't pretend that all stories end that way, because you have stories that, that don't end that way, or haven't ended, and you don't know where they end up. And I was reminded this week of, of one of the more painful of those kinds of stories. Because five years ago, this past Thursday, man, I got a phone call. It, it was my day off. I'm hanging out at home, and I get a phone call. Didn't recognize the number. Let it go to voicemail. Probably a solicitor, but let's see what the message was. 
Mark was in an accident. I think he's dead. So Mark was a friend of mine from the church that we were at. And he, he was part of our tech crew. Uh, we had a balcony where they would shoot video from, so he was one of the first to know that this was happening. <laughs> and he had a diabetic episode as he was driving his car. His car went off the road. He was in a one-car accident, and he died. And immediately, like, the world is different. All of a sudden, you are not in control, and I'm thinking about his 10-year-old son and his 8-year-old daughter. And I'm thinking about his wife and I find out later that she was on her, on her way to the hospital at that moment not knowing exactly what had happened or, what had, or, or where Mark was at. And I remember driving to the hospital and thinking, okay, this is the part where I'm supposed to say things like, you know, trust God. God is still good. You know, he has a purpose in everything. And I remember getting to the hospital and just being quiet. just kind of watching, just trying to be nearby. And I don't think that I can really point to that story. I, I can talk to you about peace that people have found in the midst of that. I can talk to you about joy that people have found in spite of that moment. But I can't really tell that story and say, but wait till you hear what God was doing. But Katie, his wife, uh, shared a message on social media the other day on the fifth year anniversary of his death, that just said, we still don't know why God took Mark, but I'm so thankful that God is always faithful. I'll tell you, my brain works logically in a lot of ways, but when it comes to something like this, I think there's a lot more power and a lot more truth in seeing a person go through something like that and trust God more. To see somebody go through something like that and say, I know God better. And I think it's okay for us to say we still don't know why. And yet believe that God might be doing something. You see, Job didn't really get the why. You know, and there's a part of me, like, that, that this is kind of strange. If I say, God, thank you for the pain my dad went through because it helped that better thing. God, thank you for the pain my wife went through because it helped that better thing. You know, God, thank you for the pain that Job went through because this is actually the oldest book in the Bible, one of the earliest historical events we have recorded. And think of how for thousands of years, millions even billions of people have been helped because when they go through something worse than they can imagine, there is somebody who's been there before and learned how to manage in that moment, learned how to trust in that moment. And, and we can say, well, you know, it's kind of like Job. Now, I doubt that Job was probably really thrilled about, oh, I'll be that guy. <laughs> Everyone else can learn from my experience. And I don't know that that's the totality of what God was doing with it, but I know that that is part of what God is doing with it. That you and I get an opportunity to learn from watching someone else be in that moment. Because you may be in that moment right now. 
And then it's like everything you can do to catch up and to try to grasp this and take hold of the truth that is tucked in there somewhere. But sometimes we have the opportunity, which Job actually did, long before that moment comes, to learn who God is so that when that moment comes, we find out this truth, that God can't be tamed, but God can be trusted. God can't be tamed, but God can be trusted. More than anything else, I think that that is his word to Job's heart here and his word to your heart here because the great news is that God is not a merry-go-round. God is not a rhinoceros. For all of his strength, as untamable as he is, he's not going to to hurt you. He loves you. And sometimes the pain that he allows in our lives is to reveal a greater purpose that he is accomplishing. It's to trigger something in us so that we look beyond the comforts of this life to say, there has got to be something better, more lasting, more pure than all of this because this hurts too much. Like, if we were all comfortable all the time, who would look for God? Who would need him? In fact, there are places in the Bible that talk about how the more comfortable we are, the harder it is to understand who God is. The harder it is for God to draw us near him so that we can find not only joy, peace in this life, but joy and peace in eternal life, in his presence where there is no more pain. Where everything that feels wrong in this world is gone because God says he's going to fix it. That he is a healer. That he is a savior. For all the untamable things that we have tried to conquer in our lives and we can't, but God can. You know, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia, there's a moment in there where the lion Aslan, who represents Christ... And one of them says, one of the kids says to another, is he safe? I mean, like he's a lion, right? And I love the answer because it is so true of God. He's not safe, but he is good. He is good. And that is what makes him trustworthy. And so as we think about what God has been saying to Job about the ox, this, this is what I love. For the ox, the answer to every one of these questions is no. Will he be willing to serve you? Right? Will you trust his strength? Will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to provide for you? If we're talking about that wild ox with those ripped up ears, that possibly blind eye, and like who knows what he's been through, the answer is no, 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 no. But I want us to look at those again, and let's ask those same questions. But instead of the ox... Let's ask them about God. Will God serve you? Listen, it sounds like the answer should be, of course not. And he's God. He does not have to. And yet, when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the God-man, showed up right here on earth from his own lips, he said in Mark 10, 45... That he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
In fact, Jesus himself knew what it felt like to take no for an answer. If you know the story of his death, before he went to the cross, he went out into a garden to just try to have some time alone with God the Father, and he sat and he prayed, if there is any other way to do this, if there's any other way to save these people who I love so much, then let this pass from me. Let there be some other way. The answer was no. Because all of the mistakes that you and I made meant that there was a price that had to be paid. And Jesus Christ took no for an answer and paid that price in blood so that you and I can be forgiven and can be pointed to that eternity where all pain is gone. Jesus Christ went through hell so that you and I don't have to go there. Will God serve you? He already did. Or how about this? Will you trust his strength? For the wild ox, the answer is no, but it tells us all over the Bible how God gives us strength in our weakness. One place he specifically says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Read that this week and couldn't help thinking of last week's ostrich and how the things that feel like a weakness to us might be a strength that God is building in us. Or how about this? Will you leave your labor to him? You can't leave it to the wild ox. He'll make it worse than it was before. But God says, Jesus says from his own lips, come to me, all you who labor, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you trust him to provide? He says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. The question is, what do we need? You know, those moments where we try to tame God because we see the circumstances around us and we think we know what's best, we think we know what we need, and I know that this is difficult, and I know that this is hard. But is it possible that God knows what I need better than I do? Like that parent of that teenager. That God knows that what I need the most is forgiveness. And if it takes a little pain to realize the places that I need forgiveness, that's good for me. That God knows that what I need the most is healing that won't just last for another few decades or another few years here, but healing that will last forever. And if it means that something here isn't healed because it's part of how he's bringing me to that healing, to that eternal life, that's good for me. And all of that, he says, happens through Jesus. That if you trust him as your forgiver, as the healer, as the only one and the only way, then these promises to Job, to you, to me, are yes in Jesus Christ. It is no for the wild ox all day long, up and down, but it is yes in Jesus Christ. In fact, Job actually knew this before he got here. 
about 13 chapters earlier, Job had a speech of his own where he, he reflected on this kind of reality about God that he knows so much more, he sees so much more, he controls so much more, and he said, and, and these are actually just the edges of what God can do. So the question that remains for you and the question that remains for me is one that I can't answer for you. Will you trust him? You know, maybe that's something that you've thought about before. Maybe that's something that you've said yes to before. Maybe it's not. And you know, this is a moment where I could say, hey, raise your hand, you know, come on forward. I don't want to do that. And here's why. Because I don't want you to say yes to me. Because I don't know what your story is right now. I don't know what what happened 10 years ago that you're still carrying with you. I don't know what's happening today. You and I both don't know what might happen tomorrow. But we have an opportunity right now in the moment to decide. When I realize I can't tame the untamable, will I trust the God who can't be tamed but can be trusted? Will you pray that way with me? God, it is humbling even to read these words and to try to make sense of them here today. Lord, I know that you know every heart, you know every moment, you know every circumstance. And I thank you, God, that you are so personal, that you are so loving, that you catch our tears, that you care even more about the people we care about than we do. You care more about our circumstances even than we do. And that you have told us that when we trust you, You can use everything for a good purpose in Christ. Lord, I thank you for every person here this morning. I thank you for the friendships that we have. I thank you for the people who may have invited us here. God, I thank you for the way you just have drawn us here today. Lord, whatever you are speaking to each heart, I ask that you would help us to carry it with us when we even go out of this place with that question in our minds. Will we trust you? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for being here with us this morning. I want to make sure there's, there's one thing that you note before you leave. Um, you'll see this in your program, uh, but there's a men's group that is starting next week that is called Authentic Manhood, and this is part two. So if you were in part one, this will build on uh, what you've already learned. If you missed part one, don't worry because this is also standalone. And so I would encourage you, um, look that over for more details. It begins uh, next Sunday evening because I think tonight there's like a a football game or something. Um, We'll just leave that right there. (laughs) Uh, But it starts next Sunday evening and then again on Monday morning. Um, So come to either time that you can make it. Come to the weeks that you can make it. Uh, You can actually sign up for that through the website because this is one of those things that points us how to grow as a man, as a dad, as a father. Um, with hints and peaks of who God is and how he helps us do that. So if that is even remotely interesting, I would encourage you um, to sign up for that and come and be a part of that. And then I would invite you to come back next week for more of In the Wild. Thanks for being here.